Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on this episode we speak about user empathy and the importance of mentorship to kick off and develop your product management career. We talk about the importance of listening back to yourself to optimise your communication style and reviewing your performance like an athlete. We also talk about some of the challenges faced when returning to work after having a child, work-life balance, and how much work there is to do to truly drive inclusion and diversity in the workplace. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So, my guest tonight is Anna Cressina, self-described vagabond, art lover, physical junkie and former World Cup roller derby contender, avid traveller and adventurer currently collecting citizenships like trading cards, working as a product manager at Redbubble, so I'm sure she'll have a lot to say about stickiness metrics. How are you doing, Anna? I'm doing fantastic. Yourself? I am doing wonderfully well. So, I've used Redbubble before, but for the uninitiated, who are Redbubble and what problem do they solve? Amazing. So Redbubble is an online marketplace where we connect art lovers with artists, where customers can actually choose designs that they love on products that they love. So um, we're basically bringing art into everyday people's lives where they can see it on their clothes that they're wearing, on mugs that they're drinking from, and just connecting users with artwork. So I've mainly used Redbubble for stickers. So I guess the first question from that would be, how many stickers do you have on your laptop? That's a great question because stickers are a big seller at Redbubble. I love stickers. Unfortunately, I have none on my laptop because I just got a new laptop, but I did have a laptop skin for the longest time with an amazing design on it. So have you got your own artist area of, of your own patterns on, on there, hidden away somewhere then? I don't currently. I have a couple private artworks that I've bought for myself, but uh, haven't taken the plunge <laughs> to make them public yet. Uh, give it time. And you're a product manager. So so what do you specifically product manage for Redbubble? I work on the artist side of things. So I get to focus on anything that's within the seller side. So anything from the artist shop to the dashboard, any artist content that we get to do, I get to support some of the other initiatives, which is like fan art and marketing and so forth. But mainly I work on anything that the artist gets to interact with. So from the uploader to any type of marketing assets that they pull off the website, that's all within my domain. And does that mean you get lots of kind of one-to-one FaceTime with the individual artists, or do you deal with a lot of this stuff on on more of a macro level or or some combination of the two? Uh, Both, absolutely both. So this, I think, kind of links itself to qual and quant data, which we tend to collect. So from the quant side, we have a lot of metrics that we look at to see any patterns within our users so that we understand our artists better. And it's easier to segment that way when you see patterns, when you see how artists are doing things over time and so forth. On the qual side, it's absolutely crucial to talk to our artists. We can't be building something without talking to them and understanding their needs. And this is where it comes back to the why, right? So understanding the patterns you see in the quant side, you can see what they're doing, but understanding the why they're doing it is what makes a product a better product. So absolutely. And you say patterns, and that obviously leads to questions around uh, data science and predictions and stuff like that. I mean, do you do any of that kind of stuff with the data or is it very descriptive? Well, we have a data scientist that that focuses specifically within that. So in our team, we're quite lucky. We have a data scientist who pulls all our data for us that we get to kind of look at and and 
be able to, like I said, see any patterns or also just get some insights from. And then we also have a UX researcher who who does it from from interviews and surveys and more of the qual side. So working hand in hand with those two, I think, is really key. And I'm so so grateful for for those individuals. But that's interesting because you've been at the company now for I think six years. You've been a product manager for around one, and before that, you worked yourself in UX. Uh, before that, you worked in marketing in various roles. So you've kind of ticked at least two of the three Venn diagram product manager circles. No development in there yet, but and maybe you've been doing that on the side. But um, I guess the question is, given that background and that journey, what made you get into product management in the first place? Uh, that's a great question. So um, I didn't. I think at the time when I first started at Redbubble, I didn't really understand what product management was, I think, at that time. And I came kind of from a producing events, marketing background where you made shit happen, really. Like you just made things happen. So I think project management really lends itself to product management. And the missing link for me was really understanding the tech side and the UX side and so forth. So when I kind of realized that that was actually what I wanted to do, I tried to <laughs> try to expedite my my trajectory to get there. And one of the easiest way to do that was actually through through research, I think, through UX research. And um, the reason for that was I was already doing some of that research because I was working on some of the marketing side of the artist side. I was already running some surveys and pulling the data and so forth. And so it lent myself to easily move over there, but then also have a really strong understanding of that user, right? So because if you get to chat with them, you really can understand what their problem is and that you cr- it creates empathy. And in that, it's easier to understand how you solve that. I think one of the big mistakes that people do is they or product managers do is they visualize themselves as the user and come with a solution on hand of like, this is how we're going to solve this problem. But you're not if you're not the user, you you don't actually really understand the nuanced issue of that. So by getting into UX, it really kind of allowed me to have a firsthand view of how product management worked, how to work with engineers, working really closely with designers. I found that that was a really great way because if you're if you're getting this qual data that you can then present to the team, it's much easier to work with designers in trying to solve for that for that problem. So um, in gaining that experience, that kind of lend itself to to slowly move into PMing. And it just so happened that I was there at the right time where there was a little bit of a, a gap where I could kind of <laughs> go in and the the PM at the time took me under his wing and was like, great, I'm going to let you do your thing. Having that guidance was really important. I think mentorship is always a great way to be able to grow. So long story short, yes, the trajectory of my growth within product management was a nonlinear one. But once I realized what I wanted to do, I was just, how do I get there as quickly as possible? And I was going to ask then, like, what support the company were able to give you? Is there like a structured product manager program within the company? Or did you just have to go, go through that mentorship path that you discussed? Or did you do like a lot of self-study or some kind of combination of the above? Yeah, great question. Because product management is has evolved over the years as well, I think there's much more resources in, in books you can read and courses you can take. Um, the fantastic thing at Redbubble is because we're small enough and supportive enough that we can help people grow within that space. So once I realized that PMing was where I wanted to do, the company was so supportive in getting me there. And so 
because we've at the time we decided that research was the first place that we sh- that I should go to grow my skills my my manager at the time within research was like okay we know that this is a short term stint we're going to teach you everything you can within research that lends itself more so into product management and then let's get you there so um being able to have my goals from the get go you know witnessed by everyone who was helping me grow was was fantastic and then when that opportunity opened itself up, the product manager, my my boss and mentor at the time, was fantastic because for him he was like, "Let's get shots on goal, you know, like let's get you releasing as many products as possible in the best way as possible, um, just so that you get that experience." And then what ended up happening was eventually I ended up going on parental leave, and during that time I ended up reading a whole bunch of books. So it was interesting because I had the practical knowledge because I actually had the hands-on knowledge. And then while I was on leave, I got to actually read all the books and, and put all that, take all that knowledge that I, that I got on the job and actually was able to, to analyze it a bit more. And so now as I'm coming back, I think that I'm going to be a more well-rounded PM. Yeah, there's a big cliche around sort of school of hard knocks versus studying and stuff like that. And of course, there's still no real degree in product management or anything like that, which is something that comes up a lot, but you, you do have sort of some certifications and stuff. You obviously have a lot of books. Kind of sounds like you've had a real good mix of the practical and the and the theoretical. I mean, which, which way do you prefer to learn? I think I'm definitely more hands-on. I think that comes from my, my sport days, you know, <laughs> <laughs> playing roller derby and all of these other things. It's like you have to physically do it over and over and over again to get those muscles working. And I think that that's kind of what it is. And sometimes you fail at product, right? And sometimes you look back and you're like, wow, why did we release that? Like, why did we think that that was going to move the metric? And it doesn't, right? And to be honest, because I had that that knowledge of like doing the work, it was easier to read the books. If not, it's just this completely, these concepts that you have no clue about, like what metric are you moving if you've never thought about metrics before, if you've never built something. So um, yeah, ab- absolutely. I think I think the two go hand in hand. And again, it comes down to mentorship. Like you said, if I didn't have the right mentors in the right time who were driving me and helping me and supporting me to get there, I, I think this that whole trajectory would have taken a lifetime, right? Yeah, no, I think that it's absolutely critical, uh, not not just when starting as a product manager, but just I think throughout your career and potentially as you go into leadership and stuff like that as well, to have that, you kind of have the people ahead of you that, that have done the job before, at least to some extent, that can tell you that it's going to be okay. Because I don't know about you, but when I first started in the world of work, I was like, none of this is going to be okay. None of it felt like it was going to be okay. It was disorienting i just had no idea what was going on with half of the things everything was in a was a crisis or an emergency and this was you know, way before even product management let alone once got into product management as well so i think just ha- having people to tell you and you know calm you down a bit and explain that yeah this is just how it works i mean i remember once someone said to me how can you be so calm while all this release stuff is going on i'm like this is fine ultimately if it goes a bit wrong or something like that then then we'll fix it but this is actually what software development is like and um i think that until you know that it's actually really tricky and that's where this mentorship for me really helps absolutely and i think it also depends on the size of the company right i've had some experience in in um mentoring a startup as well and i think there's a huge difference between a company where where it's set up where you have those people like data scientists and 
UX researchers and a bunch of designers and and you know engineers who've like who've been managing people and know how to to work with stakeholders um, as opposed to when it's a really really small team and you are doing all of it right like. Otherwise, you're a PM who is doing and the research and the and the qual and the quant and sitting down with a designer and hashing it all out. Like it is, it is, and there's a balance between the two. Like there's, it's it's just a different type of way of working. So one thing I see that you've done in your time, uh, both post and pre product management career, is give quite a few talks. Uh, and you've yourself described weirdo who loves public speaking. So is that something <laughs> So is that something that you've always been good at? Like have you always been a good public speaker or is that something that you had to work really hard on? I'm not sure if I'm a good public speaker. I just like <laughs> speaking and I like the public. So maybe that's a <laughs> that's a hard hard uh, hard one to actually talk about. But um I think because I'm an extrovert, I do love being around people. And my background has also come from the arts and not visual arts in the way that Redbubble is, but more of acting, theater, and that type of art. So I think, um, you know, I did a lot of improv when I was younger. That kind of takes you out of your comfort zone. And it's a fun way to to be able to play with what performance is and what talking is and how to to go about it. I've taken some speaking courses as well. And I realized that I do say, um, a lot and all of those things, you know, it's, and in a podcast, you can, you can clip those out, but in person you can't. So, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I found certainly when I started podcasting, you know, I'd sit there and listen back at the end of it and I'd be like, oh my God. And, you know, we spoke before this call about the tendency to kind of try and overcompensate or try and edit yourself as you're going and, and kind of flubbing things and trying to recover things and stuff like that. And one of the good things about podcasting, it's certainly not perfect, but it, it certainly gives you a, you don't need to listen to yourself that many times until you realize that you're doing these things. So I think that um, just listening to yourself at all, as painful as that can be, can be really helpful for presentation skills. Absolutely. I think it's one of those things like look backs, you know, in in product, you can kind of look back and be like, you know, did we hit our goals and so forth? But similarly, we need to do that on a on a daily basis with ourselves, right? Being able to record yeah. yourself and watch yourself and listen to yourself. I mean, we did that all the time in roller derby. You know, did I play that <laughs> game well? Let's go watch that video again. What was I doing? That was the worst block ever. And that's the only way we kind of learn. And uh, as much as it's cringeworthy to watch ourselves and listen to ourselves or read back some of the things that we've written that's a huge way to improve over time. And uh, what is the biggest public speaking gig that you've had so far? If you, you've done quite a few, you seem to love it. Have you, have you been out there sort of in, 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 in front of the, the throngs or, or have they all been fairly intimate? I'd say they're a bit more intimate. I think uh, probably the ones that make my heart beat the hardest is speaking at weddings. So I love, <laughs> <laughs> got to be an MC at my cousin's wedding, which was a huge honor. But that, that stuff becomes a little bit more emotional. Yeah, I imagine that's a bit of a different vibe to sort of speaking to a few people about UX or something like that. Absolutely. But it is fun too. And especially I think the parts that I love the most is talking about how to get into product because everyone has such a different experience. And there's there's a lot of excitement that comes with people who are excited about growing their career. Yeah, I was going to ask if you've been doing any talks on product management specifically, because I know that you've got some stuff on YouTube from, I think, probably before you went into into product management at Redbubble. But have you given any talks like outside of Redbubble, like 
any particular meetup events or anything like that? Or? Yeah, there were a couple of events that I got to talk to, which were fantastic. And some of them were about how to get into product management. And it was really interesting because everyone that was on the panel had such a different experience, you know, L- like you said, from the big corporate companies to the small startups. And I think Redbubble somewhere in between. So th- those are always really great. Also hearing just different people's experience and also how different language that's used, product owner, product manager, product, you know, like uh, I've, I've heard you even talk about this on your podcast as well, just like the different titles and the different responsibilities <laughs> that go with that. And, and it really differs, right? It really, really differs. Yeah, I think there's a, it, it's kind of a, a symptom of the fact that it's still a fairly new industry, right? It's, it's or certainly in its current form. And, and therefore, it's, I think a lot of companies just think it means a different thing. Like so many people you see online, like that, that there are so many people that maybe work for companies that consider it almost like just an extension of the engineering team. Like they're just there to pass messages backwards and forwards. And there's other people that think it's basically marketing. And, you know, there's other people that think it's project management and that you're just there to keep the gears turning and stuff like that. And obviously, there's, there's some of that in any product management job. Like the, the typical, multifaceted career but anyone that thinks that it's just one of those things is probably probably missing out absolutely and it's different in every company and it's different in every department right now my experience pming within the artist side is quite different than anyone who's doing it on the customer side who's doing it on the filler side that's it's just quite or on the platform side like all of that is quite quite different and so it's not it's not something you can kind of put in a box and be like all product managers are this you know um, it's quite transferable. It's quite different every experience. That, but that's the beauty of it, right? That's the beauty of it. That's what makes it so exciting. And that's what makes it so heated. And that's why you can talk about it. That's why you can have a podcast about it, right? Oh, I'm sure you could have a podcast about most careers if you tried. But um, yeah, I agree. It's definitely an interesting career. And there's there's so much to talk about because there's just so much in there. And it, it while, while simultaneously being quite a hard career to explain to someone who doesn't do it, we'll get to later but it's uh definitely an interesting uh question to actually explain what a product manager does to someone who doesn't know what a product manager does almost like a, a vicious cycle there so one thing that you said that you were very passionate about before this call was equality and social issues now obviously that could mean a number of things but, but what does it mean to you i think there's a lot of social issues i feel quite passionate about especially around equality equality in terms of gender, about sexual orientation, around race, around all all of the above. And I think that that's something that's quite prevalent right now in the tech industry that people quite talk about, you know, having diversity inclusion segments of of companies and so forth. I remember a long time ago hearing, hearing a friend talk about him tapping out once diversity and inclusion has become an issue at a company. And for me, I was just so blown away that this was something that people don't want to talk about? Like, how do we not want to make a world a better place and create opportunities for people? And this is something that I I feel quite passionate about. And I love that it's being talked about universally uh, across the whole world, or at least within the, the tech space, I think quite a bit now. And there's pros and cons. Obviously, there's still huge issues with companies, but that's something I, I feel quite passionate about. And, um, and especially when it comes to careers, I know there's a lot of talk about women and, and careers and growing within the tech industry. But um, 
that was a space that as a little girl, I didn't think was for me. You know, I didn't think engineering or technology was for me. And I, I don't know if that was just the generation I grew up in. So it feels quite exciting that um, we're seeing more female engineers. We're seeing them more in product. We're, we're seeing in that, them in that space. And, and, I, and I feel the same way about, about people of different sexual orientations and race and so forth. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that space expanding and being talked about. And it's a very uncomfortable conversation in so many ways, but at the same time, it, it just needs to be had. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting the thing you said about people kind of tapping out, which, which is, I don't think, uncommon. And I think that there seems to be this kind of feeling amongst certain segments of, of society that these things are all okay now. And obviously, most people who are in one of those groups that aren't okay will be able to give you 950 examples of, of, of how it isn't okay. It's almost like the fact that we, we gave women the vote and therefore it's all done. It's like, well, but that's, yeah, that's, that's not right. And I, I still think it's really important to amplify as much as possible, you know, and, and make sure that, that you call out colleagues that, that ask, you know, I mean, it's, can be tricky, obviously, because you still have to work with these people, but but people shouldn't get a free pass. But one of the things that that, that springs to mind, obviously, you say you've been on uh, parental leave, so I guess you were off for some months, having had a, having had a kid. Did you kind of just come back and it was all okay, and you started straight back in, or or did you feel that that in itself held you back uh, in your career so far? Yeah, great question. Because um, that's a huge topic that I never really thought about after having a, uh, before having a kid, right? Like, how does having a child impact your career? And I know that it it does, but how does it? And so the interesting things that I've been thinking quite a bit about was it impacts your earning capacity, it impacts your retirement ability, and I don't know what it's like in other in in the UK and so forth, but here we have a thing called super, which is a retirement fund and your company pays into it. And so if you're not working, you don't get money in that. And so a lot of women retire with much less money than um, their male counterparts. And so all of these kind of fall into play. Also, you lose out on years of, of career growth. And so coming back, the amazing thing of, of my company is that they, they do support women in taking time off in terms of being able to take two years off. They do pay for some of that parental leave. And they also pay into your retirement fund while you're on leave. So there's a lot of positives within my company, but that's not the case for everyone. And so it's just kind of made me a bit more passionate about having financial independence within that space, like being able to set yourself up financially so that you have the choices that that you can make. And for me, I've been quite open about this. I think uh, due to COVID happening, I went back to work a little bit earlier than I potentially wanted to, just to 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 feel a bit more safer for my for my family, and that probably wouldn't have been the case because I had the ability to kind of financially support myself within that time. This isn't again. I'm I'm speaking from a place of privilege, but this is why I feel so passionate about this: is being able to kind of have the ability or the autonomy to be able to make those choices. And it's really hard if you're a working parent uh, to not have those choices. And so coming back to work, my my job has been quite supportive in, you know, me coming back at three days, and then slowly, um, I'm going to be moving to four days. This is a fantastic way of getting parents back from from parental leave. But there's so much more that can happen within that, you know, 
the fact that there's not equal parental leave for uh, multiple cares, you know, if you have two cares, like, why is it only within one space? So I'd love to see these shifts that happen, things that I maybe thought a little bit less about prior to having a child. But now it's, you know, your priorities do change. And now I'm thinking about another little human that I wasn't thinking about previously. And that little human is only going to be small for a short amount of time. And do I want to be a part of that? Or will I be working? And sometimes you don't have a choice. But what if we could provide more choice? So uh, that's a lot of where my <laughs> where my thinking has gone over the last little while. And it's hard, right? Because um, I'm not going to be I'm not going to lie. Often I have to balance the thoughts of do I want to be a good parent? Do I want to be a provider? Do I want to further my career? And honestly, I want to do all of them, right? But at what balance? Because you can't do them all at 100%. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that springs to mind, and, and I have no idea if it's true, so yeah, I'm happy to be shot down. But the, the, some of this, some of the, some of the changes that have had to come in because of COVID, and the kind of more flexible sort of homeworking, and maybe the fact that homeworking becomes a lot more normalised would potentially be helpful for that as well, because it, it at least gives you the opportunity to be a bit more flexible around you know your working patterns and stuff like that. Now, I'm pretty sure that. There are going to be companies that try and snap back to the old way of thinking as, as soon as this is all over, but it feels like that would be a real miss. They should embrace some of this stuff, at least answer some of the sort of points that you've made, because obviously, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a whole bag of stuff that needs to be addressed that, that probably can't be fixed just by home working, but it still feels like we, we got, you've got to make the small steps that you can. But have you felt that, because you know, you've obviously worked in marketing as well, and, and you've worked in, in other jobs before this and obviously back in Canada as well. Have you felt that any types of job that you've worked in across your career have been more or less welcoming or inclusive to, to women? Or have they all been kind of equally good or bad? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think often women are programmed to kind of be like, oh, you know, that's the boys club. And that's, you know, I'm just not a part of that. And that's And that's something that I think as a bit of a tomboy, I've always been like, I'm going to try to break that down. I'm going to try to be a part of the boys club. <laughs> but then it ends up being this situation where you're trying to keep up. Um, and, and that was definitely my experience in, in some companies that I previously worked at. I think because it didn't have a space to talk about openly, how do we, how do we balance different, different sexes within the workplace? But I don't know. I mean, I'm working in a space right now where sometimes that does come out, but at least it's being discussed. So there's open discourse that can happen. People are held accountable. And I think that that's really important. And, and you know, in the light of the past couple of years, especially with Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement, these conversations are coming up more and more. And, um, and people who might not have thought about them in the past but due to, you know, privilege or not being aware, whatever that reason may be. Now it's easier to openly talk about that and call someone on 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 these on these issues. Yeah, you, you, there's no, there's never any easier way to make someone defensive though than than challenging them on something that they uh, like. I think that there's this uh, kind of idea that the the best way to make a, a racist defensive is to call them racist, <laughs> absolutely, and so forth. Because it just hits some kind of subconscious button in their head. And I, I read one book that said like. When you're when you're calling someone a racist, you're, you're saying that someone did something racist. Then, in their mind, racists are bad people, 
and they're not a bad person, so you're calling them bad, so you're now attacking them, and therefore the defences automatically go up. And that's kind of feels like a bit of a cop-out, but it's also obviously 100% true that that happens, because as soon as you call someone on anything, then they immediately start accusing you of being like politically correct, or they accuse you of being too sensitive, or they accuse you of virtue signalling, or identity politics, and all this stuff, and it's just, it's just such a... I don't know. Maybe it's just that I, I see the wrong people in the in the wrong uh, Twitter threads and stuff like that. But it just it just seems to be really common these days that people just try and shut this stuff down by saying that the, the person that's been offended is being too sensitive. I've always tried to err on the side of the offended in in situations like that because you know it's it's not someone's job to say that what they did wasn't offensive. It's a hard place to be because I think that that's where a lot of empathy comes into play, and that's where I think Brene Brown's books and ideas are just so powerful. It's like, how can we be more empathetic? How can we be more understanding? You know, you uh, what's the saying about attracting more bears with honey? No. Bees with honey? <laughs> what's Bees, the- bears, something. <laughs> um, you know, you're going to win someone over based on being empathetic and understanding um, as opposed to attacking. And that's and that's something that was probably something I needed to learn in in my early days as someone who can be a little bit of aggressive. But um, I think now <laughs> having a bit more empathy is really important to connect people with understanding and and trying to provide them different opportunities and solutions. I guess the hard thing is like, are we all just trying to convince each other <laughs> of different ideas? And perhaps, I mean, that's what makes humanity both harmful and interesting. But um, I think it, it, it is a challenge. It is absolutely a challenge. Maybe 2021 is the year. 2021 is the year. It's all going to be okay. We'll come out of COVID, sun the uplands, everything will be fine. Hopefully. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. So obviously you're quite, a, you're quite new to having an official product manager job, uh, although the journey seems to have been preordained for, for some short time now. Uh, what advice would you offer an up-and-coming product manager trying to break into the trade? I think for anyone who's starting out in product management, it would be really great to have to find a couple mentors. I think that that's something that was really helpful to me. Obviously, jump into the books and so forth. But if there's any way to edge yourself within a space where you can work on a small project or support in a specific way or do some research, or if you're on the design and being able to really think about the problem and the and um, the opportunity that you can find within that space, I think that that's kind of where you can start out. For me, it was really great to have someone take me under their wing and be like, "All right, I'm going to you. You go do it." And every time you're stuck or have a question, you come. You can come to me. I'm here for you. And having someone trust you and enable you to actually grow within that space is amazing. But um, I mean, that's not always an opportunity. So I think that wherever you can kind of find a space where you can work on looking at the problem and trying to solve for that problem, wherever that may be, is just going to get you closer and closer to to product management. Now, I said earlier that there's this horrible question about what product managers do, and, and you probably thought you got away without having to answer it. But I refer to it as the barbecue question, which is very apt because obviously you're in Australia, the land of the barbecues. But imagine you're at a Barbie and um, some some random person comes over to you and, and, and asks, hey, hey, what do you do for a living? How would you describe what you do for a living to that random person? Great question. Um, there's, two, there's two questions, I guess. 
one is what do I, what is my job like in terms of my employer and what do I do within that? And then what is product management? For the latter one, which I think that's what you're asking is basically what I try to do is understand a user's problem and how to best solve for that problem thinking about that user is, is probably the one, the, the one sentence answer I would give. However, um, I don't think that would fly for my parents. They would not understand what that <laughs> means. What is a user? What, pro- what problems do they have? So I think diving deeper into that is really understanding who your customers are and how can you make their experience a better one that also includes what the company needs within that space. So um, I think, uh, again, it, it balances down. It, it's balanced between the company needs and your users' needs. But yeah, again, I, I could talk about this for ages. So I don't know how long this barbecue is going on for. <laughs> <laughs> and if you had any advice that you could go back to the beginning of your career and, and give to the younger version of yourself, what advice would you give based on what you know now? The advice I would give my younger self is to actually believe in myself within the tech side of things. And I think for me, engineering and working in tech was something that I wasn't able, I didn't believe that I could achieve for whatever reason it was. And maybe because I'm the art kid who studied, who has a <laughs> fine art degree, who, you know, was told that I could literally be an art teacher and that was the only career that I could have. And now that I'm older and wiser, I realize that like it doesn't really matter what you've studied as long as you take those skills and you use them in in your future in your future career goals. So I think for me, I wish that I spent less time trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my career and had and knew that I wanted to work it within the tech side because that's the side that's exciting. That's what's moving forward and like we use all this technology on a daily basis, whether, you know, whether you're using apps on your phone or so forth, there's always something that you're using and being a part of that is really, really exciting. Yeah. So I guess I would have just told myself to believe, believe myself that I can do those things instead of thinking that I have to pigeonhole myself into a comms role or something to do with artists because um, I didn't give myself as much credit. Okay. So where could people come and find you if they wanted to talk to you about uh, anything product management related. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all of your social media sites <laughs> under my name, Anna Christina. There's probably a whole bunch of other information on there. That's not product management related. So it's all good. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for, for coming on. It's been a great chat about uh, the journey into product management. And obviously, we, we hope that that continues and, and you take over the company one day. But for now, uh, thanks very much for coming on and uh, let's keep in touch. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the show. I appreciate the effort and would love it if you'd share this widely, subscribe and check out some of the other fantastic discussions I've had with inspiring product people. We'll be back soon. But for now, good night.